Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to be. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. As your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. Uh, and we are going to change gears a little bit. I thought we were talking about tariffs. We're talking about Gary Cohn and Wilbur Ross at the highest levels, globalists in the White House. But uh, there could be globalists in the governor's house here in Georgia uh, with the candidacy of Stacey Abrams. Very interesting stuff. So um, I actually referred to a clip earlier I think we have to play for you. Do you have um, this was, I think, a Freudian slip. But boy, if you look at her resume, I think she I actually before I even heard this clip, I thought she was being groomed for president of the world, not governor and listen it's really funny if you look at her resume it's like it's like obama on steroids how uh deep state and way back her grooming seems to go and it's very international in flavor just like obama uh so but listen to this clip do we have clip 11 but I believe that as governor, the goal isn't to change the Hope Scholarship, it's to create a scholarship for low interest loans, but more importantly, for free college for anyone who has financial need to go back to the original Hope Scholarship that Democrats actually undid in 1995. That's what we can do with a good governor in the White. And I was going to go to the White House, I'm not going there yet. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's definitely uh, top of mind for her. And she's so like if you hear later how she's directing people how to uh, activate and agitate and um, what to say and how to say it. It's actually her. I think her slogan or a slogan of one of her affiliated organizations is the website looks like www.getinformation.com. But it's actually, yeah, that's what it says. So you think, oh, yeah, whatever. It's actually get in formation. I mean, right, you know, get in line, do what I say, trust me, don't ask any questions. This is how I will empower you, by you empowering me. And that's all you need to know. It's on a need-to-know basis. It gets a little freaky. Uh, Binkley, my producer, is here. Uh, he has come up with these clips. They're really, it must have taken a lot of work. I appreciate it. We've got a lot to go through, and they're so revealing. Like, we really tried to get it down to the ones that were most interesting on the biggest level. Um, but he's also following the uh, Twitter feed. Do we have any new tweets? I've been talking really fast about stuff that I should be talking slowly about, so I'm not sure even the tweets can keep up. What you got, though? We have a tweet from Nate that says, 
right on regarding sapping up foreign subsidized goods and shifting to a product that takes advantage of those goods. Once their government collapses, we can build the factories when the industry becomes profitable again. Capitalism and free trade always wins. That sounds like a straight tweet. I was a little, I was afraid that it was sarcastic. Maybe it yeah. is. Maybe it's a progressive and he thinks, ha like that would ever happen. But that is the theory. And when you think about peace and prosperity can come from free trade, of course. And as a matter of fact, they talk about Gary Cohn as this uh, the good globalist, basically, is how they're <laughs> painting him. Because simply based on the fact that he's a free trader, as if globalism is equivalent to free trade. Whereas when Ron Paul, who was a hardcore free trader, like trading with Cuba free trader, which even that was like, um that he uh, they called him an isolationist because he didn't believe in doing what Stacey Abrams organization or one of her fellowships, the American Assembly. He didn't believe in using uh, military force uh, and and power for cultural influence to open up markets. That's what globalists are doing. And it's not for the betterment of mankind. They are at the same time putting in technologies that will control the human population. I really don't even know what they're in it for. I mean, I really feel like they think there are two kinds of people in the world, the rulers and the ruled, and they're shaping us for their own, you know, higher purposes. But but globalism is not simply free trade or Ron Paul wouldn't have been called an isolationist. So this uh, these in a free society. Yes, I believe that we would have. um We'd be overwhelmed with peace and prosperity, and that's actually their problem. If you go back to that controversial document from the 60s report from Iron Mountain, the, um, their fear was peace and prosperity because with it, you don't have the fiscal and physical insecurity that garners dedication to the nation state. And one of the things they said, now this is when like my head spins that I get sucked into the dialectic without even realizing it. One of the things they said is if you create a world police force, you'll get people to honor again uh, the nation state. They'll want the nation state to stand between them and the world police force. So then you have your uh, loyalty to the government again. As an anarcho-capitalist, I'm like, the nation state is always going to exploit your rights. Oh, a world government would be even worse. I'm like, oh man, did I get, you know, did I get bamboozled here? I don't know. It's like, I'm telling you, it makes your head spin. Uh, so it's a good time to talk to Alan, who will put our feet back on the ground. Alan and Marietta, how are you doing? Hi there. Um, you know that Europe imposes a 35.9% tariff on all rolled steel that comes in from China, along with about 17 other countries. Are this, China, yeah, this China has got to be all part of the World Trade Organization stuff, though. It's not unilateral. They must do it by yeah, the book. China runs 90, uh, 49.2% of the steel market. China subsidizes the steel market, so they can charge whatever they want. And if they lose money, hey, China's going to make it up to them so they don't lose money. If the market were fair, if China were playing by the rules and not dumping steel onto the market, I would say no tariff. But until they get to the playing field where everybody else is, uh, the answer is no. Hit them with a tariff. I mean, if they don't want to play fair, fine them for it. See, that's I mean, where I sorry, that's where I disagree, Alan. In that it's like the um, the tweet I got earlier, where just five one minute ago. That it let them dump. You can exploit that. 
Bring them to their knees. Suck up all their steel. Stockpile it. Put it in a corner. Use it later. Well, I guess you have to fabricate it. But um, you know what I'm saying? You could exploit that. Exploit. Let them subsidize their steel and, and gobble it up. What's wrong with that? But, uh, it's not all right for us to impose tariffs, but everybody else can. That just doesn't seem right to me. I'm just saying my point, and I, you know, this is strictly by the book kind of free market economics, is that tariffs don't really benefit you. You can, if if they are dumping, we have such a diverse and robust economy. We could put our re- our resources don't lay idle; they just get uh, used by other. A more efficient, more profitable, higher level industry. So if the whole world wanted to dump food and steel and cars, if somebody came up to your door and said, here's a car and enough wheat to last you a year, would you say, oh, that's just, you, that's not fair. Like, no, you would go get a job as a waitress, not a farmer. But the problem the problem is, if there is a problem, is that structurally it does impact where your resources are. So if you want to be food independent or steel independent, you know, if there's critical industries, if you're in a world where uh, there's a lot of conflict between countries, it might be practical to uh, to have what Mussolini called autarky, like independence like that. That is a factor to consider. But with free markets and free trade, you're actually less likely to have those conflicts because everyone is interconnected. If every single person absolutely relied on everybody else for essentials, uh, you might have less conflict. And if if we really had a free society, free markets, it would drive subsidizers, dumpers to their knees. They could not survive. The reason they can survive is that we have bastardized our free market. We play by their rules. So if you're going to have a controlled market, you know, the hybrid market that we have does not have an advantage in a controlled society. It had a free market. If we had a free market, it would have an advantage over a controlled society. But that's where you'd have to dig into every nuance of every law, of every policy, every implication. Uh, thank you very much for the call. This is very, uh, it's, it's a little nerdy to talk about this stuff, but it's fun. I like it. Keeps my brain working. Um, but I wanted to introduce this uh, Stacey Abrams in, I think it's really in her own, in her own words. I think this, I think this encapsulates kind of the the feeling of her campaign. Let's so let's launch our um, our introduction to Stacey Abrams with, if you have it, Rachel, clip one. Progressives have a problem because we actually believe in the power of government to do good. We believe in the power of government to defend civil rights, to advance the cause of justice. We can't use their playbook because we actually don't believe the government is bad. We progressives have a problem. It's the problem of having a conscience. We have the problem of believing in a government of, for, and by the people. And it's a huge problem for those on the other side because they don't care if we just burn it all down. In fact, they're ready to strike the match so we can dance around all the orange flames. So that was pretty, that was provocative. She took um, a little dig at Trump there at the yes, end of the orange flames. Yeah, we caught that. It's, uh, 
the origin of progressivism, if I recall correctly, was like the robber barons, quote, wanted to control industry by putting up barriers to entry, regulatory barriers to entry. You, you, you can, if you regulate, like intellectual property regulations will benefit big players because little guys can't bust through if they have to hire a fleet of patent attorneys. So she calls herself a progressive. That's funny enough, does, uh, isn't a contradiction with her globalist backstory. But that the reason I like that quote is that clip is that she talks about uh, this government formed by the people, but God forbid you're not one of her people. You better be worried because it's going to go up in flames and, you know, who knows who's going to get burned. Like that was actually kind of aggressive, I thought. She said that Republicans don't have a conscience. I know. That's the dialectic at play. And uh, let's talk about that after the break. Do Republicans have consciences? Who Who's morally, you know, who don't, don't people, everybody look on the other side of the aisles like that person's just evil. Is that really what's going on? Um, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. And now for something completely different. On News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. Rain likely tomorrow, high of 60 in the forecast. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And we were just talking uh, about Stacey Abrams, who's in the Democratic primary for the gubernatorial race here in Georgia. And uh, one of the she was she did ask. She accused Republicans of not having a conscience. And this idea, she calls herself a progressive, this idea that like there's two kinds of people in this country, good people and evil people. And, you know, whatever you are, Democrat or Republican, you're the good people. And the other side is the evil people. And for the. You know, a lot of Republican voters are just regular folk. And actually, if you look at the states, the Democrat states are richer. Uh, I haven't looked at it in a long time, but the last time I looked at it, the Democrat states were richer. Like, what would explain that? They're just richer and benevolent. And really, to me, it comes that the more the more power and money there is in government, the easier it is to get and stay rich if you have access to that. And and this is a chick who's going to have access to that because her background, I I went to Harvard and Stanford and I I actually dropped out of high school and transferred from community college to Harvard. So I actually did have seen both sides of the fence. Uh, But I, and I've seen lots of people who uh, come from money, who have amazing credentials, who are destined for positions of power, whether they deserve it or not, certainly for wealth. And I've never seen a resume like uh, Stacey Abrams. And this is a little bit dated. Um, it's from some government position she held. There was a bio on, uh, on one of these pages. Let me just rattle off. This is just one of the paragraphs in her bio. Stacey is a former term member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Now, I know that, she, or Binkley, you told me she was a full member now, right? Yes, she's yeah, a full okay. member now. Uh, a next-generation fellow of the American Assembly at Columbia University on U.S. global policy and the future of international institutions. That's not a throwaway statement. International institutions are the real deal, and they have a big influence, and they are there to implement this world corporation, I'm calling it now. An American Marshall Memorial Fellow. Marshall usually means Germany after the war. An American Council of Young Political Leaders Fellow. That's a Department of State position. Very hard to get information on that one. 
a Council on Italy fellow, so you're dragging in more of Europe, a British-American project fellow. There's a hilarious quote about that from a famous journalist during the Clinton administration that it's a, a Freemasonic plot to rule the world, the British-American project. <laughs> yeah, um, a Salzburg Seminar Freeman fellow, again, sounds German-Austrian, uh, on U.S.-East Asian relations. Uh, a Salzburg Seminar Fellow on Youth and Civic Engagement. And here's the really weird one. A UCOS Fellow for U.S.-Russian Relations. UCOS was a huge Russian oil company riddled with scandal, broken up for unpaid taxes, and by coincidence, Stacey's main role in the private sector was tax advisory, if I'm not mistaken. So let's dig into that. That was a big can of worms. Um, and get some more of these great clips, clips by Binkley. 800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. Maybe it's something really cool that I don't even know about, you know. On News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. Libertarian voice on WSB, Saturdays from 3 to 6. Tackling the big topics of the week in depth now that I have the time to do it. Uh, national, local, and I especially love it when it all comes together for a bigger perspective, such as in the Georgia gubernatorial race, there is a candidate, Stacey Abrams, who's running against Stacey Evans in the Democrat primary in May. Now, Abrams is interesting because she's got such an incredible resume. I mean, I read it off before the break. She's been a fellowship in more globalist, literally globalist institutions than I have ever seen anyone from all different regions and different subject matters. So uh, it's the future of international institutions is one of the subject matters. Um, Youth and civic engagement is one of the subject matters. Um, But the regional stuff, U.S.-Russian relations was one, U.S.-East Asian relations, British-American project, Uh, Salzburg Seminar, the Marshall Memorial, uh, and then you've got the just pure globalist stuff, the U.S. global policy out of Columbia, the Council on Foreign Relations. I mean, it's clear what she's there for. I mean, I literally think she might be running for world president or CEO of World Corporation. And she even had a Freudian slip earlier when she was talking about her race for the uh, governor's mansion as her race for the White House. And then she caught herself and he said oh one step at a time and it's like wow that's scary you know what i mean like she's clearly you know she's there's a vision here for her and and she's not making it up people are behind her specifically george soros which i kind of laugh because at this point george soros is like all globalist fear is concentrated in the image of george soros and i feel like when he uh dies it'll be like the scapegoat from the bible like the real literal meaning of scapegoat where like all the sins uh, of that group will just be washed away with the death of this guy because we're just piling globalism into him but he is literally funding her and uh and so you see that her like up upward looking uh, you know, her her vision is big. It's worldwide, in my opinion. And her support, her background is globalist. However, what she's doing, her tactics and her strategies, very interesting. Uh, it's, I, I personally think this kind of thing is manipulative and cynical. But when you have a democracy, I mean, I think even Plato kind of anticipated this, you get... Your goal, your job, 
you know, I call it a democracy. People criticize me for that. When you have elections, when you have voting, when you have to convince people to vote, you 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 want to just convince them. And is analytics and ideology and morality the way to go? Even George Washington said you're never going to get people to vote against their interests. I would take it a step further and say that now they understand they're so good at demographics and psychographics. Uh, group think. I really feel like phase one of the Internet, which has now come to an end, in my opinion, was about understanding the digital herd about crowd psychology. So when you see crazy things like some weird stuff about Sandy Hook, I'm personally right now getting um, takedown notices from WordPress for a picture of Noah Posner I have up that the BBC reported as being the picture of a victim of the Pakistani school massacre. And that was widely reported. And that was just such a weird, bizarre error that persisted for a little while. I feel like that, you know, this is my cynical in the rabbit hole thing, but I feel like that kind of an event was designed to see how people react to um, anomalies or whatever on the worldwide mass scale. So I feel like they're very sophisticated in how to manipulate you and your emotions to get you to vote a certain way, for example. And to me, that totally undermines any valid um, argument for democracy there ever could be. I personally am believe in objective rights. I don't think we even, you know, you just, you just have the bill of rights, you know, I, I guess you have to vote for people to execute that, but you vote for people who end up violating it. So and I have problems with democracy. I do not have problems with objective rights, but if you look at her, uh, she's using tactics that are designed to make people feel a certain way to emote, but the underlying message is follow me, trust me, do what I say, uh, you're empowered simply by empowering me. I know what to do. You can tell by looking at me that I can be trusted, that I'm on your side. And I feel like we have clips that actually have her saying every one of those things, like practically verbatim, and hopefully we'll be able to get through them. Uh, Binkley, my producer, who is responsible for all that hard work, and Rachel Abordoff, who I'm sure I will, I'm making crazy with all these clips. But uh, so, Binkley, I don't know if we have a tweet that's on point. If you want to start with that, um, what do we want to do? Well, do we don't have a tweet on point for that okay. yet. All right. So let's let's uh, you know what I wanted. I think I wanted to play. This isn't Stacey Abrams, but it's a, a couple of clips or a few clips that reflect the kind of attitude, tactics, strategies, viewpoints of people in her organization that she's working with that I, uh, well, maybe these are supposed to be just independent protesters, random people who are showing up. I don't know. It sounds rather, um, you know, polished, crafty, whatever to me. Do you want to, I'm thinking of clip two, clip three. Um, yeah, do you want to give me a little backstory on those, Binkley? Clip two and clip three? Clip two is a community organizer who uh, she spoke at Netroots Nation. And Who's Netro- she? Do what? 
Who is she? Stacey Abrams spoke at Netroots Nation. Okay. And Netroots Nation is a a protesting and activist conference that they have every year, and they had it in Atlanta last year. And her opponent, Stacey Abrams, spoke at the conference. Stacey Evans. Stacey Evans, excuse me. And a bunch of Stacey Abrams supporters, as soon as Evans got up on stage to speak, stood up. It was clearly an organized protest, and they stood in front of Evans, and they faced the crowd, and they held up signs saying, trust the black women, and comparing Stacey Evans to Republicans like Betsy DeVos, and they did it the entire time, and they shouted her down, basically. They wouldn't stop. So this Eclipse 2 was a community, organi- a community organizer and one a fellow of the speaker. in that crowd who yes, was Yes, she was one of the people who organized the, uh, the protest. Who was shouting down. I think I heard that clip. They were just chanting loudly. They, she didn't say anything yet, right? Stacey Evans said absolutely nothing. She was trying to speak over them. You can hear her faintly in the background trying to speak But it's not like over... she said something that outraged them. No, that, she, she didn't. Did she even get to like, hi, I'm Stacey Evans? No, they got up there as soon as she started. And just shouted her down. Okay, yeah. and then this is a- afterwards. Explaining why they did the protest. People, okay, so clip two, please. We are the backbones of democracy, whether we're talking about third party formations, whether we're talking about, you know, different organizational work, whether we're talking about the Democratic Party itself. Like, we are the reason why, you know, move. Excuse my language. I'm so sorry. That's fine. It's a a very emotional moment. But um, but yeah, so I mean, that's what it's about. And it's not about, you know, you need to vote or support someone or you need to stand with me solely because I'm a black woman. But, you know, I'm on the right side of this and you need to just trust my judgment and and, and walk in formation. Well, I mean, I I find that I just I don't see how that empowers people. It's identity politics, intersectionality. That's what What is intersectionality. In this context, to keep it simple, this group of people, from what I was reading from them, is they were insulted that Stacey Evans was not using her privilege to promote Stacey Abrams. Instead, she was running against her. So that's kind of a form of, uh, I don't want to say racism, but that's what they're implying. So, but intersectionality, does that mean like... It's a hierarchy of oppression. Whoever has the most level okay, of so oppression. so Stacey Evans is a female, which makes her oppressed. Yeah. But Stacey Abrams is a black female, that makes her... Exactly. ...a higher on the... So it's Stacey Evans' job to use her privilege Right, okay. Her. And that's why she... Made, now that's... That is really an ideological... That that Does that come from your lack-off guy, this propaganda, like the modern... Edward Bernays that you've been telling me about? Uh, some of the language that Stacey Abrams yeah. uses does come from him, but the intersectionality thing, I, I don't know the origins of it All yet. Right. I'm just now getting into it myself. Okay, well, I also noticed that this woman used vulgarity strategically to make, I think, to make her sound genuine, emotional, spontaneous, yeah. relatable. Um, but, yeah, she's probably... And that's interesting because when you watch the protest, you wouldn't expect it to be such a well-spoken lawyer who also is a public speaker. Who can't control her emotions right. and her words. Yeah. You know, that's what's so weird about it is that she, she sounded like a very articulate person. Don't they say if you're shouting and resorting to violence and using vulgarity, it's because you don't have the words. You can't, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a frustration at not being able to communicate. This is, this is a little... You know, too clever by half. <laughs> so then, um, is it the same person in clip three? Yeah, clip three is the second half of her interview. Oh, okay. Let's hear clip three. 
these things as disruptive as they are work absolutely absolutely i mean for those who were like been out of shape or this is not how we do things i had a former state representative who also was the georgia lead on the bernie campaign just comment on another live stream that this is not how we do things I, this is not how we do things we don't we also don't you know if i, if, if I people. No, go ahead if i may add yeah. this is not the way things are done yeah. if they are done right in other words absolutely. if people have absolutely. no other avenue Absolutely. This is what occurs. So, like, it's Venezuela and there's no real vote? I mean, is that what he's... I, I think so. And I think if she is elected governor, that kind of army of protesters, when she can't get something done through Congress, um, will be willing to do the same things. Through the state legislature? Yeah, state legislature. So, uh... I mean, that kind of thing justifies vigilantism, it seems to me. And this is my position. I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I actually, I find, uh, I would accept the compromise of the U.S. Constitution. I prefer the Articles of Confederation, but I'll accept it because it has a Bill of Rights in there. But they ignore it. So I don't, I do not consent to this government. But what they're... I want to, my objection to the government is that it invades my rights, my private property rights, everything like that. I'm not looking to the government to steal stuff from me. I'm not saying I can't control the government because I can't get what I need. Uh, but I, 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 I disagree with his premise that they're, that they actually have no avenue because, and I, we don't, let's take a break and then, and then we'll play the next clip, which is that Abrams, who, who obviously has access to global institutions, has had uh, access to the halls of power, been in legislatures. Her sister's a federal judge. They obviously know how things work. I think she's a federal judge, right? Obama Obama appointed. appointed. Yeah. And and she talks about her extremely sophisticated, they seem base, but they're actually sophisticated tactics in how to, how to, make legislators bend to her will. So let's get to that after the break. 404-872-0750, 800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. This will not stand, you know? This aggression will not stand, man. On News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. 61 degrees outside the studio. Skies are a little bit overcast. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. Uh, and we are... Um, we have so many clips that, and I'm not trying to uh, give this gal a run for money. Really, honestly, I ha- I have to say, like I I feel a little bad. I don't want to attack a person personally, but this isn't really personal. This is uh, she's she's operating for a larger cause, and I think the cause that she's really operating for is not the cause that she's presenting herself as operating for, and I think she's using tactics that are not transparent. So. Uh, what we're doing is just giving you Stacey Abrams, one of the primary Democrat primary candidates um, for governor, uh, her positions and just herself in her own words. So let's let's uh, keep going with that clip five, please. In 2008, I banded together with a small group of legislators and we formed what we call the strike team. Our mission was to disrupt the operation of Republicans and slow down their agenda. Does that sound at all familiar to folks? Now, we weren't going to overthrow the legislative order. We didn't have the means to topple the Speaker of the House, although I hear iron stashes somewhere in the building. 
but we could make their work harder. We could summon their victims to the Capitol and show them who was at fault. We could resist. So we reached out to other legislators, those who've been silent for too long, not because they agreed with the GOP, but because they didn't know how to resist. We prepared questions for them to ask, demands for them to make, because they were equal members in the body politic and they had the right, they deserved the right to be heard. See, now that's so interesting to me because this is about you know, an equal member of the body politic, the right to be heard. It, they, she acts like she's empowering and liberating. These are legislators she's talking about. She gave them the talking points, the questions, the issues, the demands. And and her people are saying, we have no recourse but to take to the streets. You a know, strike team. Yeah. I mean, anyway, more about this and a great, great tweet from Shrop Daddy. So come on back after the break, 404 872 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. I'm at the nail salon. What? I'm at the grocery store. What? combination nail salon and grocery store wait she's at the nail salon and the grocery store i'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store groceries through instacart delivered to my door i don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store 